All right. Well, thank you, Patrick and McKaylee, who are to be married. When's, what is the date for you guys? June 16th. Yeah. <clears throat> Very excited for them and uh, the journey they're on now together. Uh, thank you for lighting our candle. If you're in Kid, <coughs> excuse me, Kidmo, you can head on out. <coughs> We're out of here. All right. Also, um, I failed to mention thank you for those who have helped with the Room in the Inn um, Super Saturday uh, Christmas. If you forgot your stuff, um, you can bring it to us, but we need it like ASAP. (laughs) So we're going to deliver it on Saturday. Um, If you signed up but then forgot to bring it today, just let me know. Um, You can bring it by the church this week, and we'll make sure that they get it. It may all be here. I don't know. I haven't heard that nothing's here, but uh, just in case, because sometimes that happens. Um, All right, so I want to share a few things with you this morning, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, We're going to close out our service after we um, finish with our worship, and then um, we're going to end our live stream and have just a family conversation for a few minutes. So that's kind of what we're going to do, Um, but before we do that, I want to share a little bit about the idea of the live world, and we're going to be doing this for the next two weeks, um, leading up to our Christmas Adam service, which I hope that you'll be here with us. Uh, that's going to be our candlelight Christmas service. Um, years ago, we started doing it the day before Christmas Eve, because a lot of the people that would pull off the actual service were traveling. So we said, well, let's just do the day before. And so the Christmas Adam name stuck, um, but it is a special time, and um, I'm working on, we're not going to have um, a, a in-person service on Christmas Day, uh, but there will be something um, online for you that day if you would like to participate in that. So I'm um, looking forward to Christmas with our family. I'm sure you're looking forward to Christmas with your family. Um, the reason we do Advent uh, is because it prepares us for the Christmas event in a way that everything else in our life between November and December, it, but it leads us somewhere different. From November to December, what we're thinking about is how do we make sure Christmas is taken care of? We've got Christmas parties at work and at church and at you know our friends and our family. We've got uh, gifts we've got to buy. Will we get the gifts that we're looking for? Which is really more, I think, a problem for young parents because as you get older, it's like, oh, they can't have that. Oh, well. Uh, but when you're young and it's the gift and you've got to have it, uh, then you're like, oh, i got to make sure we get the right gift and the thing that they're looking for. What Advent does is it causes us to slow down and to remember that something very significant happened, uh, not necessarily on Christmas Day or December 25th, 2,000 years ago. We don't know exactly when Jesus was actually born, but it helps us to slow down and to remember that there was a time in which the Savior of the world entered into this place with us, And it changes foundationally everything we know about reality, about the world, about our lives, about God, about um, everything, which is easily lost when we're hustling and bustling and doing other really good, fun things. I I enjoy Christmas parties. I enjoy getting together uh, with people. I enjoy um, setting up the tree. I don't like decorating the tree, so my job is to set up the tree. I like flipping on the lights in the morning and seeing them come on. I love that kind of stuff. 
But we've got to stop and we've got to breathe and we've got to settle and we've got to recognize there's something incarnational in the world that has happened and is significant and that incarnation is meant to change us forever. So last week we did the candle of hope. This week was the candle of peace. Next week we're doing the candle of love, then the candle of joy, and we'll light the Christ candle on our Christmas Adam service. Just remembering that a Savior has been born to us. He is Christ the King. Um, I was thinking about what to share with you. I was just, I've been struck like maybe some of you by reading headlines and looking at what's going on in the world. We've spent a good part of this year talking about the struggles we have just um, as a result of the pandemic and our interpersonal relationships and the struggles we have with each other. And the idea that Jesus is the light of the world pre presupposes that there must also be darkness. Which does not in any way surprise anyone in this room because you feel it, you see it, you you have experienced it in some way in your life, a, a settling in darkness that makes life not feel good. That makes relationships seem unhealthy and unhelpful. Like there's not really a whole lot of hope out in the future because our best days are behind us and now there's just hard things ahead of us. As we, as we read the headlines, we know there's all kinds of division among people, whether it be politically, ideologically, or even within the church about different things we believe or different practices we have. We know that with uh, just the, the number of young people who are struggling, and it's not just young people, it's people of all ages, are struggling with depression at higher rates. Each year, that rate increases. Instances of suicide continue to increase. And as we look at this darkness that seems to be around us, I think even today, we ask the question, is there light for this darkness? And so what I want to talk to you about today is, is the light that can be in us. Now what's interesting in the story about Jesus that I want to share with you it's a story where Jesus um, is not the first time, and it's certainly not the last time, that he makes a lot of people really mad at him. Um, they start uh, accusing him of being a, a fake and um, someone who's a false teacher and someone that should be done away with um, because Jesus makes this incredible claim that he is the light of the world. Now, he makes this claim at a time not unlike our own, even though it was 2,000 years ago, in which it felt like the darkness was just closing in at this time on the nation of Israel. Because at this time, this is who God is working through, is the nation of Israel. Rome has occupied their nation. Rome has dictated who will lead them. He has replaced their priesthood with priests that will be sympathetic and loyal to Rome. They're paying ridiculous taxes. And they're being collected by people that not only collect the ridiculous taxes, they just they, they add a little more, and if you don't pay what they want, then there's a Roman guard that is happy to come by and let you know you will pay what they want. Sin is on the rise. The family is just being destroyed. And they're coming in and saying, we are now your rulers. And you have no hope outside of us. It is in this moment, and it is in this place, and it is in this time in which the Feast of the Tabernacles is going to begin um, 
to be celebrated. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was a, a festival in which uh, they would remember what God had done in the Exodus, which was their greatest story of God's intervention in their lives up until the moment of Jesus, even though many uh, Jewish people, all truly devout Jewish people, reject the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. But up until Jesus comes into the world, the belief is that God has, is, is abandoning them. They haven't actually heard from God through a prophet that we know of for 400 years. They've lost all autonomy as a nation. The belief that they themselves would be the superpower that is going to demonstrate that God is the God of all gods, that God is the, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, that, that His reign will last through all of the world in which God had been saying to them over and over again, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But in their minds, this is not happening. We are falling apart. The darkness is coming in. The practices of the Romans are infiltrating us. People are falling, falling away like crazy. There is no hope. There is no future. Maybe there is no God. And yet they continue to practice these things to remember the Exodus because we know God was real then. And they had this incredible... Uh, ceremony that they would do called the illumination ceremony at the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was uh, would take place at the end of a harvest, and you would come and you would celebrate God because if you had a crop to bring in, um, that was a gift from God, even though you had worked it the, the soil yourself. God had provided the sun, God had provided the rain, God had provided all the things that would make that crop grow, and it was a celebration of goodness. So you would feast. And the priests would light these enormous candelabras, these, these towers that would have felt like them in the temple courtyards. There would be four of them, and they would light them. I've got a couple of pictures. This first one shows behind him a guy crawling up a ladder to the top of this tower where it said it would be filled with oil, and the priests would take their old garments, and they would use them for wicks, they would light four of these throughout the temple area and it would light the entire temple area. It was called the illumination ceremony. It was to remind them that God had been light for them in their darkness as they exited uh, Egypt and it was the fire that they followed um, to see where God would take them. And so they would remember and this was the light of the Lord and the myth began to grow and, and the myth became... Um, whenever these four towers were lit, all of Jerusalem, there wasn't any portion of Jerusalem that wasn't lit by these, which was an exaggeration. But, but the idea was this light was overwhelming. And around this time in which they're doing this illumination ceremony, Jesus comes in and he says something that captures hearts, but also quickens hearts against him. We, we read that. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is essentially saying this light that you're looking for, this, this illuminating light that will guide your way, that you can follow, that will lead you where you need to go out of the darkness and will dispel the darkness. Jesus says, I am that light and I am pure. 
This is part of the point of what Christmas is. This is a good portion of the purpose of your life if you are a follower of Christ. You are here to be light in the world, to dispel darkness. And as we approach what Jesus is saying, one of the things that I find most fascinating about just our our modern interpretations of what it means to be um, a believer, even that word in and of itself, I just it's such a crazy word for us to use because there are a lot of people who believe that don't actually follow. Um, the scriptures tell us even even um, the enemy believes. It's crazy that we even use that term, but what Jesus says is that. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. See, it's possible to believe all the right things and to do all the right things and and yet not follow. One of the things we struggle with as Christians, and let's be honest, There are times that we feel like God is with us and that the light is abounding. And there are times that we're not sure where God is and it sure feels like the darkness is closing in. Am I wrong? We don't always have an answer for this. And generally, it's one of the reasons that people will reject Christ in and of itself is because they look at us at times when we walk through darkness thinking, oh, see, your God doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to you. And the reality is, is what Jesus is saying is there is a way to follow that brings light into your life. It requires following. Jesus says this very thing as they celebrate the light that they followed to the promised land. And now you can follow and have the light of life within your own life. 1 John 1, beginning with verse 5, says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There is a part to the light that is being offered to us that is 100% in our court whether or not we want to receive it. He talks about this in, in terms of sin and what we're going to find if you read through the New Testament is that The primary message that John the Baptist, who was said to be preparing the way for the coming Messiah, his primary message was, repent, return to your faith. Because so many people were leaving. Repent, come back, this is real, it's happening, that promise of light, it is here if you want it. Which means we ourselves have a role to play in the light that we experience within our life. It does not mean we have a role to replace Jesus. It means that while Jesus does something, we also have to do something. Many times when darkness begins to encroach in on my life, 
If I spend enough time praying, if I spend enough time reflecting, if I spend enough time talking to wise friends, I will usually find something that I can do differently because many times it is my actions that bring darkness into my life. It is not the enemy. I am many times the enemy. Anyone else relate to that? This can for you be very freeing. For people who are doers and go-getters, like, yeah, let's do it. What do I got to do? Give me a little list. I'm ready. I need my five things. Let's do communion. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to be shining all the way to, to lunch today. And I don't have any such list. But you've all met someone who it feels that no matter what's happening in their life, it's bad. It's all bad. Everything's bad. Now it's good, but you're just waiting because you know the pattern because it's going to be bad again. Now, there are bad things that happen in life that you have no control over. Absolutely. Something happens with your health. You have a bad car accident. Plant closes down. You don't have any control over that. Now you're without a job. I'm not talking about the things that happen within life that we have no control over, but there is a missing component in the lives in which we lead that we do have some power to introduce light into our lives, and that power comes through the ability to follow Christ. And what John is saying in this letter to his churches is he's saying you're struggling because you're not following We have this light, but this light requires that we follow. And if we say that we're, it's it's not our fault and we just have sin in our lives, well, you're a liar because you're the one responsible for the sin in your life. You are the one responsible to move yourself away from that sin. You can experience this light. Remember growing up in the church, I I, I really felt that the... um, The point of being a Christian was to ask Jesus to be my Savior and He was going to pay for my sins and it was just this thing that happened to everybody uh, and and I'm just really glad He died for my sins. So now, I mean, I need to confess them, but my sins don't matter anymore. But that is not the message of Scripture. That is not the message of any part of Scripture, old or new, because what you will find is over and over and over again, the Scriptures will say, The way that you walk will determine what you experience. Our our Bayma group, we're having a great time in our our Bayma group, and a few of you are in here today, and um, we had a great conversation about Cain and Abel um, this past Wednesday where we learned some really important lessons from that story. Um, One is you can do everything right and things not go your way. (laughs) And that's Abel's story. Abel did, as far as we can tell, Abel did nothing wrong. Abel was still killed by his brother. But we also learned another important lesson about Cain, and that is that as God visited Cain, he said to him, you have the opportunity to cage this beast. You can master it. Which led us into an interesting conversation about, well, what is the beast? Is the beast this third party? This thing that we have no control over? Or is the beast something that is within each of us? Is the beast something that leads to hopelessness and depression? 
The voice in our heads that says you have no value and no worth. That God doesn't love you. God's ashamed of you because you mess up so many times. We talked in our friending series about um, what happens the way we develop. Sometimes we develop some patterns of relationship building that are not healthy. For example, if you grow up um, as a child and your primary caregivers are not there for you, you will begin to have the worldview that no one will be there for you and you will sabotage so many of your relationships because you don't believe people who actually love you will be there for you. you. You begin to believe something that is not true, but you can't tell it's not true because in your formative years, that's all you began to believe. People won't be there for me. The way we live our life actually does matter. The things we do really does matter. Sin is not just that thing that keeps us from heaven. Sin is that thing that keeps you stuck where you are. It it feels like the darkness is closing in. And while we may have other people sin against us, what Scripture is really preoccupied with is how do we handle the sin in our own lives. And in this world, this is not new. This has been the struggle from the, the first breath of the first human. How are we living in a way that brings light into the world? The reality is, if we're going to have light within us in a world that seems very dark, we first have to realize we can walk in the light. We have a role to play. When I... Um, was a child, I, I grew up in the church. I was in the church from, you know, whatever day, whatever, day after I was born, I was in the church. And uh, we began attending um, a church when I was one years old that um, we I attended until I went to college. Uh, and then I started attending some churches near my college and then got married, went off to seminary, and we attended a church there, but we attended that same church from the time I was one till the time I was 18. And I got, um, I, I'll say it this way, but then let me clarify. I got saved twice. For those of you who have been around Journey for a while, you've heard this story, and so I won't belabor the story. But the first time I was eight years old, and my friends were getting saved, and it was very cool because they got to swim in church, and then they got to eat snacks in church. And I thought that was pretty darn awesome. I want to do that too. You're thinking, what, in the, what kind of church did you go to? Well, you swam in church and you got baptized, and you couldn't get baptized in the church until you became a Christian, and I thought that was pretty darn awesome. And the second one was we did communion, just like we're going to do today. We did it differently than we do it here. But we, we did communion, but Mom and Dad would not let me take communion because I was not believer and so my friends got crackers and juice i did not i did not realize the crackers tasted as bad as they did Um, i had a much better impression of what that was going to be like but at eight years old i walked down and i knew all the answers because i had been in the church since i was you know five days old i knew all the answers to say and i said i want to be a christian i'm not going to say that i had bad intent some of that's an eight-year-old. I mean, those are the things, those are important things in life when you're eight years old. I, you know, let's be honest. 
I was super happy that I was saved. I was super happy that one day when I died, I would get to go to heaven. I didn't think that would be anytime soon, so I wasn't really sure what the payoff there was, at least at eight. And we continue to go to church every day, or not every day, but every week, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Some of you have experienced that as well. Life went by, life changes. Went through middle school. Oh, that was an eye-opener. Went through high school. That was an eye-opener. Hierarchy of popularity is a hard lesson to learn, is it not? For anyone who's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You were on the top tier. Everybody else knows exactly what I'm talking about. I began to learn that if you want to, if you want to fit in and you want to play this game the right way, you got to do things the way that the, the cool kids do them. Some of the things the cool kids do are pretty stinking unhealthy. And so I did them because you got to fit in. Because to not fit in is not feel good. Mom's telling me how how great I am, but nobody else is. So that continued and continued and continued. One of the things the Scripture promises us is that if you are far from God, He is pursuing you. And He was pursuing me. We became more and more unhappy. More and more frustrated. We would go to church, and here I am taking communion, and here I am a Christian, and I'm participating in our youth choir, and doing all these different things, but in my heart, I could care less about knowing God. God didn't help me with my friends at school. And eventually I came to the realization this is very dark. When I was 15, I had come to the end of myself and said, this is ridiculous. I, I, I'm living two different lives. I, I, I hate this trying to fit in by doing things I don't even want to do just to get accepted. And I knew something had to change. And so for me in that moment, I said, God, I've shared this before. My, my prayer literally started this way. It's, God, this is Mark, Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know if you remember who I am. You probably, you know, kicked me out by now, but it's who I am. And I need a Savior. That moment for me, uh, took about a year to, to get to. And that moment for me, it was as if Jesus was sitting right next to me. He wasn't, not, I mean, I'm not that charismatic. He was visibly there. Uh, that happens according to people all over the world, especially in third, third world countries. But one of the incredible things that the Holy Spirit does is uh, that we see time and time again um, and story after story after story is someone who was far from God had a dream about Jesus and someone else and that someone else was some kind of a, a missionary or other believer around them that they didn't know. And so as they walk from one place to the next or into the market or wherever, they see this person that's been in their dream and they're like, How? I've never met you before, yet I've seen you in my dream. Can you tell me about Jesus? Like this, there, there are recorded stories time after time after time and, and in places around the world that this happens because God pursues us. Well, that, that didn't exactly happen to me, but it was as if Jesus was right next to me. It was the most 
most real moment I have ever experienced in my life before or after that moment. The opportunity to go back to the place, to the very step in which I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was 15 years old. And it was as if it had just happened. Because something happens when you experience light in the darkness. It changes us. I would love to say I was a perfect Christian from that point on. Absolutely not. I'm not a perfect Christian now. Something changed in me. This light had come in. And it was real. It was not crackers and juice. It was not swimming in church. It was not because this would make me acceptable to other people. This was, I feel darkness and I don't want it anymore. And in that, Christ met me. And has been with me ever since. This is what it means to know Christ. To know Christ does not mean I know how to spell his name in three different languages. It's not what it means to know Christ. To know Christ does not mean I go to church every single week. That does not mean I know Christ. To know Christ does not mean that you can spit out the ten most essential beliefs that you were raised with. As we've said, even the enemy believes. What does it look like to truly have this light in the darkness? When you see light in the midst of darkness, it it changes you. One of my favorite stories of the apostles post-resurrection and ascension is in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And Peter and John are out preaching about Jesus. And the, uh, the, the, the temple... Um, authorities come up and say, you better stop. If you don't stop, we're going to kill you. It's one of my, one of my most favorite. It's not that the, I, I like the circumstance, but I love their response. It says this, so, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. Something happened. They were changed. They couldn't stop talking about it. I in no way am like Peter and John. But I can tell you, in the 35 years since that moment that I met Jesus, I can't stop talking about Him. What does it look like for us to be changed? Because this is the promise of salvation. When there is no change in us, something has gone horribly wrong. We are changed. What would it look like in your life if you had this type of experience with Christ? And all you could do was... You had to tell somebody about it. And I know some, I know, I don't know everybody's story, so, so maybe that's everybody in the room. I know it's some people, at least in the room, that have had this kind of experience with Jesus, and you can't stop talking about him either. But if you haven't had that experience, what would it look like to have that experience in your life? What is something else that you can't stop talking about? There are other things that happen in our lives. When 9-11 happened, we all remember 
where we were at 9-11 if we were old enough. For our, our parents and grandparents, it was um, where JFK was shot. You remember that moment. You know where you were, you know um, who you were with, you know what you were watching the, the news on. Um, there are different things that happen within life. There are other things that happen in life that are also memorable. I mean, a marriage ceremony is memorable. The birth of your first child is memorable. All your children should be memorable. But by, be honest, by the time you got one baby, you can't remember anything anyways. But, you know, there are memorable things that happen within life. Those things don't necessarily change you the way that Jesus does, or should, or can. What would it look like to have that experience? This is real. To know that Jesus is right there with you. To know also that you have a role to play because Jesus' invitation was this, you can follow me and walk in the light. It's not about the, the 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 fire by you know that they would walk through the desert. You can follow me. That fire and me were the same. I am the light. Jesus would later say, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. He would later say, now he, he first says, I am the light of the world. He then will say, now you having this light in you, you are now the light of the world. What would it look like to have that? What would it look like to be in a community that just shined like the four huge towers in the temple that illuminated the entire temple? Jesus says one of the ways that you're going to do that, and this is why we talk about this all the time, even though you may roll your eyes, because the idea of loving others is just defined differently by every single person, But he said, you will be known, you will shine your light by the way you love each other. People will look and they will see in the darkness of their world as it's closing in on them and they're ready to give up with no hope and they feel guilt and shame and they just do not believe anything will ever get better, yet they will see a group of people who love so fully and completely that they themselves must know what this is. And they will know that this is real. And they will know that Jesus is real because these people are different. They're changed. How do we we wrap this up? I would ask you this. Ask you to consider two questions. First question is this. What darkness are you struggling with? I love Jesus. He's right here with me. I've committed my entire life to Him and there are days that feel dark. If you have days that feel dark, congratulations, you have a heartbeat. (laughs) You have a heartbeat. Right now within your life, what darkness are you struggling with? Can you name it? Is something popping up in your mind when I just ask that question? Is it clear? Or maybe, hey, life is great. Fantastic. But if it's not, what is the darkness within your life? Second question I would just ask you is this. What is one step that you can take today in following Christ? 
Here, here's the kicker, okay, about Christianity. <laughs> Taking steps to follow Christ doesn't mean it's going to resolve all the things that feel dark. Broken relationships may still remain broken. The plant may still remain closed. Just like Abel, you may do everything right and it still doesn't work out for you. What does it look like to take a step? Because he says, if you follow me, this is how you have light in your life. And in good part, that will rely on yours and my understanding, definition of, and expectation of what it means to follow Christ. And I recognize that. There are, there are some that believe following Christ is believing the right things. I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, you must believe the right things. I shared last week with you when we were talking about um, being light by being a friend. Uh, we talked about orthopraxy and orthodoxy, the two uh, really confusing words we use uh, in the church to talk about what we believe and what we do. Orthodoxy, what we believe. Orthopraxy, what we practice. What's, how do we practically apply what we believe? You can believe things and not practically apply them to your life. This is absolutely what the enemy does. <laughs> he believes it. He knows it's true. He just doesn't apply anything. Like he goes the opposite direction. I want to be against God no matter what. But I know all those things are true. I've seen it. The expectation of what it means to follow is, is so important whether we're going to walk in light or not. Do I believe the right things? Am I going to church? Am I serving? Am I giving a few dollars? Why do I feel so empty? Probably because you're focused on orthodoxy rather than orthopraxy. How do we practically apply this? Now, let me be just very careful. Um, churches tend to focus on being orthodox or orthoprax. <laughs> I don't think orthoprax is a word, but you... churches tend to be of the persuasion of us teach the right things, believe the right things, say the right things, and even if you don't believe it, just act like you do. Dress like you got it all together. Don't let anybody know what problems you have because we are orthodox. Orthopraxy can be, we're just going to apply, we're just going to live this out. And listen, that sounds so wonderful, but with no anchoring in right belief, orthopraxy can look like anything. I mean, you can worship the devil and say, um, orthopraxy is my thing. It's a church, we've got to be somewhere connected together. Right belief, right action. Because Jesus said it is the action that is going to lead to walking in the light, which may, depending on your background, put some red flags up for, for people in the room or who are watching online. This is a struggle to describe that's been in the church from the very first apostles where we see Paul and James at times um, seeming to contradict one another where Paul says, we are saved by by grace alone, saved by faith through grace alone. And James says, oh yeah, you show me your faith, but I will show you my faith by what I do. Jesus would say, there's something that you have to do. What does it look to live this out? What darkness are you struggling with? What is one step you can take today in following Christ? Is there a decision you need to make? Or have you given up and you need to 
you need to stoke the fire of faith within you because you've given up because the plant didn't reopen. And if God loved me, it would have reopened. God loves us and He promises us life is still going to be hard. Or is it possible that you've never really embraced this light and committed to follow Christ? I'm going to close with John 3.16 and a few verses after. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. These are the words of Jesus. There is action to light within our life. You can simply call it following. But that requires a little more conversation too, doesn't it? We'll spend some more time talking about that in the next couple of weeks. But I want to leave you finally with this. We can walk in the light. We're going to take communion together, and um, two of our elders, Rick and uh, Ken, are going to serve communion today to us as, uh, as our worship team comes back out. Um, this is a wonderful time just to remember that Christ is real. This stuff is real. He is here. If your life looks dark, He is the light of the world. If you're struggling with a decision to make, if you're struggling with um, things growing cold, uh, listen, this is a great time for you to say, God, I don't know exactly what this looks like or what you want from me, but I'm here and I need you and I want you. That's essentially was my prayer when I was 15 years old. I don't know what this means. I don't know where this is going to take me, but I need you. I'm done with this darkness. So as we come and take communion, Come knowing you were fully loved and accepted by Christ. But also that you have a role to play in the light that we experience in our lives and the light that we share in the world around us. Father, I thank you for the love that you've given us and I thank you for the peace that we celebrate this Sunday of Advent that we have because of you. Even if the darkness comes in, we can be at peace. Father, I pray for the steps that um, we all need to take in our own lives of following you. you. You have said that if we will follow you, we will walk in the light. Let us walk in the light. Let us be known for our good works, but not defined by them. And I thank you for the grace that you've given us, that you, you sent your Son to die on the cross for us, to free us from sin if we so choose to be freed. But I pray for just very clear of our own lives, about where are we? Am I really? Do I really believe this so much so that it changes the way I live my life? Have I truly experienced transformation? 
And I don't know what the answer is for every person in this room, but I pray that still for my life today. Continue to change us and move us. Let us not only experience the light, but be the light in the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.